Welcome to those of you joining us online. Happy fall. It's officially fall now, so all of you who like already had decorations up, you're now legal. So it's time. No, it, it, I, I'm excited to be with you this morning. If, you, if you're new, we're, we're glad that you're here. My name's Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're in the middle of this series we're calling the Upside Down Kingdom, where we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount and this, this teaching that Jesus uh, shares. It's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Today we're, we're starting in Matthew 6, 1. And so we're, we're a third of the way through, but really over half of the way as far as this, the series this is going to go. But we're looking at this idea that, that Jesus describes what his kingdom's all about. And so we've been working our way through this. And this morning, uh, we get to come to a topic that, <clears throat> to be quite honest with, I'm not happy to be the one teaching you on. Because as I've been studying this and we've been just wrestling with God's word on it, it's, it's one of those times where, where I just have to start the message today and just be blatantly honest that you guys just get to listen in on what I need to learn today. So uh, if you feel like I'm being really pointed at you, it's just I'm being pointed at myself. Uh, because this is where really the rubber meets the road in our walk with Jesus and Man, it's, it, it is humbling to come up and challenge you with what God's Word says, knowing that, man, those same things apply to me and my obedience in that. And so we've been going through this series on this upside-down king. Jesus gathers his disciples, and it's these three chapters where he's really just painting a picture. Here's what my kingdom is like. And it's different from the way the world works. And so that's why we call it the upside-down kingdom, right? It's, it's different. Things work differently. And we come to this point now where we're, we're at this turning point. It's not just because it's chapter 6 and not chapter 5 anymore. But we're coming to this point where this first, so far what we've gone through is he's, he's painted the picture. Here's what my kingdom is like. Here's how the kingdom is different than the kingdom of the world. And we saw in the Beatitudes and here's, here's what my kingdom should be like. Here's the attitudes of those who obey. And in the past couple weeks, we talked about how a kingdom citizen is somebody who obeys from their heart. Right? Where Jesus took, here's the laws, here's what you know, but let me, let me ante up. Right? Let me, let me raise the bar. It's not just about following through on these. It's about a heart and our heart motives. <coughs> Excuse me. And what we're going to start to look into now is understanding what the upside-down kingdom is all about. Now we're going to start to look at some of these sneaky roadblocks. Right? These aren't just the obvious, like, obviously this is wrong. These are these little sneaky detours that can distract us from living out what it means to be kingdom citizens. And so we're going to start to see things a little bit differently. So I want to start, we're just going to read through the passage. We're in Matthew chapter 6. Verses 1 through 8. So if you guys would like to turn there, we can read together. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some in the seats in front of you. If you're using the chair Bibles, it's on page 787. So you can get there faster than everybody else. Unless they're cheating like me and using a bookmark. Alright, so Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, 
Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that, that you've rescued us and you've, you've called us to yourself, but you've also given us your word. You, you've, you've given us your instructions to us. God, we pray that this morning that, that you would show yourself to us that you would help us understand more of who you are and what you've called us to be as we follow you. Jesus, may you be glorified in us and may you draw us to yourself. Amen. So this passage, as we, we shift in the Sermon on the Mount, now we have these, these three topics, right? We're talking about giving and praying and fasting, these things that, that Christians are supposed to do. Right? These, these responsibilities, these, these duties that we have. But before we get that, there, there's a bigger picture at play here, right? With, with all three of these things. And as we try to understand that, that, that piece, I, we, we have to start by going back just one verse. Right? Because we, we've got these really helpful chapters. And, and in my Bible, I've got these different headings that, that help me keep track of things. But the problem is those are all helpful additions, but they can also be a distraction that sometimes we can break up and, and, and separate ideas, right? And we have to keep these things in lockstep because this wasn't, you know, as we're, we're going through this, we're going through what, like nine or ten weeks where we're taking a couple verses each week, right? Well, Jesus just sat and talked through this whole thing together in one teaching. And so if we look back, where do we, where do we start with? And chapter 5, verse 48 says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Right? And then as we look at this upside-down kingdom, as Jesus spent all this time describing what the kingdom of heaven is like, what the upside-down kingdom, the, the Beatitudes, this is the way things should work. Here's the reality. All of us can look at that and, and, and instinctively we know it's right. 
instinctively know, we know that's the way things should be. That is what good looks like. And we long for that. Right? And as we read through the rest of chapter 5, we see the laws. We understand, yeah, here's, here's lip service to obeying the law and keeping the rules. But here's what, what true heart obedience looks like. That's right. That's good. We, we know that. We know that it's right, and we, and we long for it, right? Isn't it? Wouldn't it be so good if our world worked this way? Wouldn't, wouldn't my neighborhood be an awesome place to live if everybody lived out the Beatitudes? Wouldn't my workplace be just an awesome place? Wouldn't, wouldn't everything be good if everybody lived this way? Yeah. So that's the way the world's supposed to be. That's the way that God designed it to be, that we're all living in right relationship with him, that there is no sin, there's no selfishness, there's no pride and, and envy. But we see all of this, that, man, that the blessed statements of the Beatitudes, this is what kingdom values look like, and this is what people who are kingdom citizens act like. Man, I wish that were there. And then as you look through that, then it ends with this verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus just takes that bar of like, man, wouldn't it be great? Well, guess what? It's not. And do you know what the problem is? It's me. Right? You know why? I, wouldn't it be great if, if my neighborhood, everybody lived according to the Beatitudes and, and lived like kingdom citizens? Well, guess what? I don't always. Wouldn't our world be great if everybody lived that way? But guess what? I don't. The standard for a kingdom citizen is perfection. And so when that standard's laid up, man, like, man, this looks so good. Won't this be great? Well, here's the standard, and I crash and burn. I don't measure up. I'm not perfect the way Jesus is perfect. But that's where the good news comes in, right? That's the, we talk about the gospel, the good news that Jesus came. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. It's, it's not this, here, isn't this great? But guess what? You don't get in because you're a failure, right? It's not this idea of like, man, you're just on the outside looking in, wishing and hoping and longing for what's good and true and right, but you don't measure up. That's the whole reason Jesus came to earth was to redeem us and invites us to be a part of this kingdom even though we don't measure up. And that's where we get to today starting with, with chapter 6 verse 1 where we're told to practice our righteousness. And he gives the qualifying, don't practice it in front of others, but, but we're instructed to practice our righteousness. This idea of living out our faith. Because we know it's good, we want to be a part of it, we don't measure it because we're not perfect. But God knows what he's doing. And he's in the process of redeeming us and making us to, be, to, to reflect him in every aspect of our life. As followers of Jesus, that's what it's all about. We're not just window dressing, right? but heart level change is what, what God is after. And so how does this happen? How does this come about? As I put my faith in Jesus, I, I trust that he is who he says he is, that he is good and perfect. He is the Savior. I'm not, and I need him. So now what? What happens? 
I'm still not perfect. My life still doesn't reflect the kingdom values. So how do we go about this living out our faith, of practicing our righteousness? Well, that's where the, I guess the bad news comes in. Is it's, it, it boils down to this idea of good old-fashioned discipline and hard work and obedience. It's practicing what we call spiritual disciplines. This idea of, of living out my faith, of putting my faith into action. Now, I know the moment I say discipline, you guys all just kind of like, you guys were nice. You like didn't show it on your faces. But I know that inside you're all just like, because we all love that word, don't we? Discipline. So good. Right? Not really. We don't like it. But, but discipline, both spiritual and not, right? They help us live consistently. They help us to live out the way that we're supposed to. And so as we get talking about this, here's what, what we want to do. We know that, that our faith is this supernatural thing that God makes us alive. Ephesians chapter 2. We were dead in our sin, but then Christ made us alive, awakened our heart to him. And as we learn to obey him, is it, we grow in our faith as we practice these disciplines, as we live out our faith. And it's through only able to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do is we look at these three areas of of giving and prayer and fasting, really want to look at, the, again, this bigger picture of this idea of disciplines. And there's, there's two main uh, things that I think that we can learn from these, and then we'll, we'll spend a little time looking at each of them individually. But here's the first thing. When it comes to living out our faith is, is this, is that Jesus expects his disciples to do these things. Jesus expects obedience. He expects us to practice our faith, to live out our faith. Look at, look at these three areas in verse uh, 2, 5, and 16. What are Jesus' instructions? When you give, when you pray, when you fast. Right? It's not this like, hey, if you're going to do these things, here's how I think you should try them. Right? Jesus' expectation of the disciples, when you're doing these things, because as a disciple, you are going to do these things. You are going to give generously. You are going to spend time in prayer. You are going to fast, because that's what being a disciple is. And so when you do it, here's how, or here's what not to do. There's an expectation. So, so why discipline, right? If Jesus is expecting it, why is it all about discipline? Right? So again, because there's that word that we don't like, Right? We don't like discipline. I don't like, I, as a kid, you can ask my parents. We could call them up right now. It's like, did Mark like to be disciplined? No, I did not, right? None of us do. We don't like discipline. But here's the reality. We got to make sure we got our, our definitions correct, right? Because here's, here's the truth. We all live disciplined lives. Every single person in this room, every single person watching online, we live disciplined lives. Because discipline is simply a way we do things. It's our, it's our habits. Our routine is our discipline. And so when we hear the word discipline and we get that like grating feeling, it's not because we're talking about our routine or habits. It's because we're talking about changing it. Or we're talking about a need to change the way we do things to something else. Right? Because as a kid, 
Growing up, there were lots of things I did that were not good, and my parents disciplined me to try to help me change my habits and change my behaviors. It was a process of learning and growing. We all have disciplines. I have a disciplined eating habit. It is not a good one. It could be a lot better. But I have a disciplined eating habit, right? So do like some famous athletes. Clearly theirs is working better for them than mine. But I'm disciplined. I have a discipline. And the, the challenge is, is how do I change? And the process of changing is where, where the, the rub comes in, right? Because I, I love, here's the, here's the deal. I like sweet things. They are tasty and I can consume them quickly. All right? I'm a big guy. I'm tall. I'm broad. I, I, I had, was playing football in college. Like our coach, this is going to sound horrible. As an offensive lineman, our coach sat in the dining room and we, during the season, couldn't leave the cafeteria until we ate five plates of food. Right? I liked that rule in college. <laughs> it, was, it was great. Right? But it was this process because I had to maintain my weight. I had to, in order to be effective in my position, I had to be large. I had to have body. If you want to stop a defensive lineman who's trying to get past you, you've got to have some weight to you. And so I was disciplined, right? Problem is that discipline stuck, even though now I'm not doing all the things I did in college. And it's this process of change that's hard. I know the same thing is true in our spiritual life. Being a disciple means that I give up autonomy of my own life. Right? There's a way I do things. But if I'm a disciple of Jesus, then I need to learn to discipline myself and do things differently because it's not, I'm not in charge anymore. God is. If I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, I'm giving up my own rights, my own authority to do things my way, to think the way I want to think, and I'm giving God authority and control. Those are the songs that we were singing, right? This morning we were singing, I surrender all. It's that this act of discipleship is an act of surrender. Matthew chapter 4, right before Jesus gives this sermon on the mount, he calls his disciples, and the disciples, the invitation literally was, come and follow me. And the disciples left their life behind. They left their job and they followed Jesus. And they said, you're going to be the teacher. I'm going to do what you're going to do. I think one of the best definitions of discipleship that I've ever heard, best definition of being a disciple is simply this. All right, ask me a question, any question. I don't know what the question is, but I can tell you the answer. And the answer is whatever Jesus says. Because he's got control right now. Mark, how are you going to handle your money? Well, whatever Jesus tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do because he's in charge. Mark, what are you going to do with this person that you're having a hard time in relationship? Well, well, I'm going to handle it however Jesus wants me to do because I'm a disciple. He calls the shots. I'm a follower. And that, that kind of rubs us a little bit, right? Because it's giving up our rights, giving up authority and control of my own life to surrender to Jesus and follow him. That's really, as we read the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's a submission to Jesus as Lord. God, you're in control. Your will be done, not mine. 
And Jesus' last words to his disciples in Matthew 28, 19, as Jesus is about to ascend up into heaven, his last instructions to his disciples was, go and make disciples. Right? And so all of us, that's, that's who we are as a church. We are people who are called to follow Jesus, to give up control of our own life, surrender to him in every aspect. That's what it means to be a citizen of the upside-down kingdom. And so because of that, if I'm a disciple, spiritual disciplines are just the practice of turning my life over to him, to surrendering my life and changing to go from my will, my way of doing things, to God's way. It's going from the worldly kingdom to the upside-down kingdom. And you see, all of us in the room, we're, we're all in different points along that journey. As a church, we are blessed. There are some people who are part of this church who have been following Jesus as disciples for as long as I've been alive or longer. And I'm thankful to get to know them and talk to them. I could call them up right here, and if they came up on stage, first thing they'd do would hit me for making them come up on stage and pointing them out. But then the next thing they would do is help me say, like, I haven't arrived yet. And they could probably, if they were honest, and they'd probably be scared to in front of all you, but they would sit there and say, you know what, here's the area right now where my life doesn't measure up, and God's been pointing at that and been challenging me to surrender that part and surrender that to him and live in obedience to him, and I'm having a hard time. Or here's this habit that I know doesn't honor God, and I've been struggling with it for over 40 years trying to surrender to Jesus. Then it goes all the way down. There's some of you in this room who are probably sitting here going, I wonder if Jesus is really worth it. I don't know if I, I haven't surrendered yet. I'm, I'm trying to weigh this decision. Is he worth it? I don't know if I want to be a disciple or not. Man, we're glad that you are here because all of us, whether we've been following Jesus for what seems like ever or we're still wrestling with that decision, we're invited into this process of discipleship, of following Jesus, of surrendering our life to him. And when we talk about spiritual disciplines, it really boils down to this, that the following Jesus costs you everything, but it is so worth it. And as hard as it can be, we talk about, again, disciplines. Uh, Dallas Willard said it this way, spiritual discipline is nothing but an activity undertaken to bring us into more effective cooperation with Christ and his kingdom. A spiritual discipline is just something I'm going to do that helps me come into, in, into alignment with what Jesus is calling me to be. And that can sound hard because when I, again, when I look at the, the values of the kingdom, I don't always measure up. And the thought of, of my life changing to model that is, is hard. But the reality is, man, Jesus said just shortly later in Matthew chapter 11 says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light because of the process of learning to obey. His Holy Spirit helps us to obey. And as we do, it becomes that second nature of here's the things I used to think were hard. And I'm learning to come in alignment with the kingdom. And as I do, things work the way that God designed them to do. So here's where we're going to go next is, is that part maybe makes sense, but here's the big caution. The big caution that we have to be careful of is this, is what is your motive? When we practice our righteousness, when we live out our spiritual disciplines, when we, when we go through this act of, of living out as a disciple, what's your motive? And that's what Jesus is cautioning here. Don't practice your righteousness in front of men. 
And with each of these, with giving to needy, with prayer, with fasting, he says, don't make a show of it. Right? Don't, don't make sure everybody can see what you're doing as the hypocrites here. Right? Don't, don't, don't draw attention to yourself. He honors what's done in secret. And I think it comes back to this, like, who are you trying to impress? Who are you trying to impress? Because if you're trying to impress God, <laughs> good luck, it's not going to happen. Right? God who created everything, who's in control of everything, who designed every aspect of your being, you trying to be good doesn't impress him. If you're just trying to impress other people, if you're trying to use God to make you look good, well, these pastors all say, there's your reward. If people are like, wow, Mark's awesome. Yay, there's, all, there's my reward. Somebody thinks I'm awesome. That's all I get out of it. Right? If that's my motive is to, is to get recognition, then, then that's all I get. Because what Jesus is after is our heart. He's after ongoing obedience, a heart that is transformed, that is in love with him. And not just obedience, again, not just going through the motions, because that's what I'm supposed to do, but a heart that desires to glorify God. And so I want to do everything I do, I want to bring him glory. Every way I interact with people, every, every way I use anything that he's given me, I want to glorify him. I want to grow into a deeper relationship with him. That should be my motivation. But that's the danger is that I live in this kingdom, the worldly kingdom. It's so easy to get distracted with what people think. And so easy to, to fall into the trap of wanting attention or wanting affirmation. But God calls us to live according to our hearts. You know, obedience to do that. So here's what I want to do. We're, we're quickly running out of time, but we still got three spiritual disciplines to talk about because these are the ones Jesus mentioned. But here's what I want to encourage you. The sermon, I think I saw as I was walking up here, they're, we're out in this room, but they're online. You can go online and, and read through the sermon guide. There's a, a list that I, I put in the sermon guide for this week of, of some spiritual disciplines, some of the, the ones throughout that have been formed through Christian tradition for years that are, are so helpful that we see pointed to in Scripture. But here's the reality. There isn't a list of here are the spiritual disciplines. Because again, spiritual disciplines are any activity I do for the purpose of draw, coming into alignment with the kingdom of God. So there are a lot of things that I can do for that purpose. But there's some that are really helpful to look at. And I would encourage you to, to look through them and know that, that not every spiritual discipline is going to be something that perfectly gets you where you want to go. This isn't like Boy Scouts or some organization where I'm just trying to, to pass to the next step to advance. Right? Every spiritual discipline is something I repeatedly do to draw my heart back into alignment with God's kingdom. And there are things that may work great and be a helpful tool now, but later on aren't as effective for me, or maybe again will someday. But I want to quickly look at these three. The first one of giving. Jesus instructs us to give and to give generously to the needy. This isn't talking about like giving money to church or tithing. That's a whole other conversation. This is specifically about just seeing needs, caring for people who are needy. And how can I give generously? And the act of giving generously takes my attention off of the things that I have and puts my attention back on the person or the God who gave me all those things. Helps me fall into alignment with the kingdom of I value the relationship with God, not the things that he gives me. It helps me recognize my need for him and dependence on him. I'll never forget this. In college, I had a friend named Dave. We call him Cowboy Dave. All right, we call him Cowboy Dave because his name was Dave and he was a cowboy, literally. 
So we were really creative and called him Cowboy Dave. Right. Dave was his great example. He was an amazing friend, but he worked his tail off saving money, raising money, and he bought this beautiful diesel pickup truck, red dualies with a stack out the top. It was an amazing truck. And he saved up for this thing, and the moment he got it, do you know what he did? He let anybody and everybody use it. Do you know how many people need a truck? Everybody all the time. It's dangerous to own a truck. But Dave would just lend it out, or he would volunteer to go and drive and help people haul stuff. And, and one time he took his truck, well, he, he took the keys, he didn't take the truck. He took the keys and he held them in his hand and he said, this is not my truck, it's God's truck. And so I'm going to use it however God needs it. Right? He was generous with what God gave him. He's a great example of that. And prayer. Obviously, we don't have time to dig into all of this prayer. We're actually going to, here later this fall, we're going to go through a series where we're going to just dig into prayer. What does it mean for disciples to pray? What does that look like for us to pray, to be people of prayer? But prayer is all about building our relationship and our reliance on our, our Father in heaven. And we're instructed not to, not to, to again, pray in public, to draw attention to ourselves. Look at, man, look at that guy. He's always standing up on a street corner praying, right? No, that, that it's about a relationship and deepening our relationship and our dependence on God. And, and just within the Lord's Prayer, we see these different pieces of prayer, the adoration, submission, dependence, confession, and protection, that God has given us this model of how we pray. We pray about all of these things. And fasting, the one that we all were excited about, Fasting is this, this spiritual discipline of giving up in order to focus on God. Giving up something. Right? And the Bible is every time fasting is talked about, specifically talking about giving up food. Right? This idea of, of giving up food for whatever period of time to focus on God for different reasons. And we see examples of, of fasting to, as part of repentance. Or fasting as a part of mourning. As, as I mourn, I'm going to fast as it draws my focus in to God and what he is doing, or, or an act of confession, or interceding, or seeking wisdom. All these different reasons people choose to fast. But in our cultural context, fasting has taken on this whole other realm, right? Because people fast for lots of different reasons. And you can fast from food, or, or social media, or music, or, or watching TV shows, or what, reading the news. I don't know what you're going to fast from. But there's this habit of, of fasting, and the reason people fast is, is it's healthy, right? It's healthy to give up certain things for a, a given period of time. It's healthy to take a break from social media or, or to, to, to do these things. And, and we do it for physical health or mental health. And those are good things. But the spiritual discipline is, is different. Because when I give up, it's not just for the benefits I receive. But again, I'm giving something up in order to draw myself into alignment with what God is doing. And so if I'm fasting, I'm giving up food for a day, that every time I feel those hunger pains or I see something tasty and I want to eat it, it's a reminder of my need to be dependent on God and draws me back into worship of Him. Or maybe it's, I really want to be praying for somebody who is, who is struggling, so I'm going to fast because every time I have that, that desire to do whatever it is I'm giving up, it's a, a callback to say, hey, I, I need to be praying about this. And it's a physical reminder of that. Again, there's so much more to, to dig into, but 
with all of these things and with all the other disciplines that you can find. It, again, it's not the act of doing it. It's not, hey, we need to make sure we're doing these things because if we do, then look how great a Christian I am. And man, these are super Christians because look at how disciplined they are. No, with everything, it's about our hearts. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. And so Jesus' instruction to us is, as followers of Jesus, as disciples, do these things, but do it for the right reason. God knows what he's doing. He's called us to be perfect. And we won't be perfect until the day we stand face to face with him and he finishes what he started in us. But now as I live out my faith, I want to live it out in obedience, learning to surrender day by day, moment by moment, that God would change my will and replace it with his. And that I would learn to walk in step with him, living out the values of the upside down kingdom that he has invited me to be a part of. We want to be a church that lives as disciples, obediently listening and surrendering to God in every step of the way. We don't ever want to be a church of, of perfect people or pretend perfect people. Right, we, all, we all did a good job of trying to, to dress up and look nice this morning and we're kind to each other. But the reality is, is man, if, if we're honest, each and every one of us have a mess that we're dealing with. We've got struggles that we're walking through. We've got areas of our life that we're struggling to surrender. And so as a church, we're, we don't want to put on this face of, of happy, pretend Christian people. No, we're, we want to be disciples who are struggling to learn to walk obediently to Jesus. And who encourage each other and point each other back to the hope that we have in the gospel. That it's not us. It's a Savior who loves us and who has called us to his own. Would you guys stand with me? We're going to pray, and then we're going to wrap up our time in worship together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that, that you have rescued us, that you have made us alive, that you've invited us to be citizens of your kingdom. And God, we thank you that it's not based on merit, because none of us made the cut. None of us have what it takes. None of us live up to the standard of perfection that you've set. And so, God, we, we thank you that, that you accept us based on Jesus and his sacrifice for us. And so, God, we, we want to learn to surrender. God, help us to be people who obediently walk in obedience to you, who, who learn to surrender our own will and follow you. God, may it not be about our actions and the way things look, but God, help us to be people who, who are captivated with you. And our, and our desire for obedience is, is a heart that longs to glorify you and give glory and honor to you because you are worth it. Jesus, as a church, may we be people who chase after you, who learn to grow in relationship with you as we connect with one another and as, as we learn to serve. God, may we be people who live out the principles of your kingdom as we, as we struggle our way along. And as we fail, may we, may we confess that to you and to one another and learn to walk humbly with you and with others and bring glory to you. Jesus, we ask this in your